Hello everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. It's Andy here. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to bring you a special guest and today's special guest is very special actually. We've had the pleasure of knowing this guy since the age of three, since he was the age of three, so that's over 20 years for us. And had the pleasure of coaching him since he was the age of 11. It's Aaron Rye. And if you don't know Aaron, then Aaron is a European touring professional. He's had six professional wins. He's had two European tour wins with the, the most recent last year at the, uh, the Scottish Open where he beat Tommy Fleetwood in a, in a playoff, which was amazing to see and watch. And we thought we'll get Aaron on to, to really talk about not only his game, but also his emotions, his mindset, his strategy. So much we cover in this because if you've ever watched Aaron on TV, you will see that he's very level-headed. He doesn't really show much. He keeps his sort of focus and doesn't really show much emotion on the golf course. And one of the things that gets thrown around a lot when you see good golfers is, is talent. Now, when it comes to Aaron and his talent, it's so clear for us to see that his talent is his, his mind, his work ethic, the drive, the, the ambition to be the best golfer, but also the best person that he can be. So it's a great insight today to understand a little bit more, more about what drives Aaron, um, how he manages emotions on the golf course. He talks about if he gets nervous, some of the things that he might do what tournament golf is really like, his strategy, and so much more. So it's great to actually sit down with Aaron. This was a pleasure for us because, you know, we obviously, we've been coaching him for a while, but it was great to sort of dig a little deeper and pull out the things for that hopefully can help you and your game as well. So we know you're going to enjoy this one, guys. And if you do, then let us know on social, screenshot this, tag us in. And if you do enjoy the podcast in general, head over to iTunes, leave us a review. It really helps the podcast grow. Okay, without further ado, let's welcome Aaron Wright to the podcast. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Andy. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks pleasure, pleasure. It's great to actually sit down and do this because we've never really done this. We've never had you on the podcast. So this is going to be, a, we've got about 100 questions for you. So we've got about three hours <laughs> to go through here. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate your time. We know that this is going to be a good chat as our chats are always uh, lengthy and in detail. Um, yep. <laughs> but I think let's start with the most important question. Why two gloves? <laughs> Every, everybody asks that question, but why two gloves? Let's get you know that out of the, the way. Answer, the answer isn't as good as the anticipation that is that already built up in this question, Andy. Um, I started probably from the age of about seven years old. I used to practice a lot in the winters, obviously in the UK when it was cold. Um, so I started to wear two gloves basically just to, to keep my hands warm. Um, it started off with me wearing it in the winter, but it became such a habit that I've just continued wearing it throughout. Um, I think I'd, I'd find it very hard. I probably wouldn't be able to play very well if I was to not wear them anymore. So, yeah, it's, it's stuck around for a long time. I'm hoping it's a trend that will pick up. Hopefully you and Pierce <laughs> not wear two gloves in your videos. Yeah, there. I think yeah, there's, there's no chance I think <laughs> I can play with two no. gloves, to be fair. Okay, it was worth a try. The, um, what, about the, what about the iron covers? Where does the iron yeah, come from? Similar from from a really young age. Um, I was really lucky. Um, I, I had great equipment from right from the age of six, seven years old. My dad brought me a set of Titleist six ninety MVs, which were probably the best part of a thousand pounds. And after every practice session, he used to clean them with baby oil and a sewing pin to get everything out of the grooves. Um, so in order to just look after them, he thought it was a good idea to get iron covers. But I think it was also to teach me the value of 
the equipment that I have and to respect actually what I have. Um, so that's that's how the iron cover has kind of evolved. And even now, it's great um, on the tour. We get given all of the equipment that we need, um, but it just it serves as a good reminder, really, and just helps to helps to keep me grounded and just respect actually what I have. Brilliant. The, the I think it's interesting actually. Me and Pierce went up to Manchester yesterday and did some work up there. But even on the way back, we we always chat lengthy and and. Lots of different discussions popped, pop into our sort of, uh, well, just pop up. And we were talking about you actually yesterday. And memories of you at the Three Hammers when you were, let's say, four or five, year, five years old on the driving range. Um, you weren't the typical junior that we would see on a driving range. Four or five-year-old kid who would lose concentration, get bored, mess around. Like, from an early age, Aaron, you were really committed and you loved hitting golf balls, like you really enjoyed hitting one golf ball after the other. And that's really, I'd say that's a unique thing because most kids can't keep that level of concentration. They get bored easily. But I, I remember seeing you on the driving range, just hitting ball after ball after ball and loving every minute of it. Where, where, yeah. where does that come from? Or where did that come from? Just the love of actually hitting golf balls? Yeah. It, it's probably hard for me to remember exactly um going back that long but I think for me um my dad was a big part and I think my dad always took me to the driving range um and at first I think it did come from him but I think the concentration of me actually staying on the driving range did come from me because I just I enjoyed it and I liked the challenge of it and I think at that age I just I liked having the ability to hit the ball more than anything else and I think when I saw that and when I continued to see me getting a bit better at that I think that's what kept me hitting ball after ball at the driving range and I think I was hooked in that sense from an early age um, but I think it was a good balance between me and my dad there as well because I think he he helped me to go along that path um, I think if you left me to my own device that's probably I'd have probably been a child that was a little bit um, here and there, um, running around the driving range rather than hitting ball after ball. But it also came from me as well. So I think that balance was was perfect between the two. Yeah, and it just it just shows that we see. I mean, we see the the I suppose those tendencies and 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 the you're very good at repeating things. We know that that whatever you do, you repeat it. And even back then, at four or five years old. It was repeatable back then, which it wasn't necessarily you'd see another five-year-old kid or a six-year-old kid. They could hit a great shot, then they could miss a ball. But even those early early stages of your junior golf, it was it was a repeatable golf swing. It was it was almost machine-like. If you were looking from behind, you were so consistent, you'd just lock it in and it would go. And we still see those things now, really, which is just amazing to see the things that you did as a five-year-old. Uh, with a lot of similarities that we still see in your, I suppose, in your swing and in your game now, really. It's, uh, I've yeah. got those images in my mind of you on the driving range with longer golf clubs, but just repeating the motion, but, you know, so, so much. Yeah, I think in, in the early years, that's where my dad did an amazing job with me to, I guess, create something repeatable from a young age. But I think that's where you and Pierce have done an incredible job with me as well, since I was probably 10 years old when we started working together that you guys have, I think my swing has evolved 
but you guys have never came in and gone, Aaron, we need to change this. We need to completely overhaul your swing. Um, you're not doing this right or you're not doing that right. You've you've also kept it very natural and the DNA has remained and um, you guys have just kind of, yeah, just worked with it and improved it a long, a long time. And I think that that's a great thing for just golfers full stop of of a good level I think sometimes people are very fast to try and change things when new things come in fashion um, but that's never been the case with us um, so that's a testament to, to my dad in those early years and definitely to you guys as well yeah I think that's just something that we would do with anybody anyway but with you yeah. was, and I think we always say that the you can get away with it with a beginner or a high handicapper asking them to do something that may have been the wrong thing to do because it might not have that they might not quite get it straight away and it might take a bit of time but when you've got a really good golfer you have to be really careful what you tell them because the worst thing you can do is tell them something wrong and they go and do it <laughs> so that was always a mindset yeah. that we were on um i hope you can hear me okay there's a geezer outside trying to chop a tree down um so there's a little bit of a background uh, soaring going on that's clear um, now, speaking of something that has nothing to do with trees, and that's your driving, because it is very much a phenomenal weapon that you've got. And I've got a few questions sort of into this. And I think for the listeners listening to this, it's, it's really important to understand how good you are at driving. You're always in the top five driving accuracy. Distance is now starting to get better as well. But why do you so the first part of this question is, why do you what makes you a great driver? And how important is it for your game? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, again, it goes back to those early years and how my dad started to teach me. He basically taught me from starting off with a driver. Um, he thought that was the hardest club to start with. So just throw me in the deep end at first. Um, and I think that, that has definitely played a part. Um, I think on top of that, again... Um, my dad, you guys have always mentioned or tried to install the ability to be able to shape it both ways, to hit the different shots um, and to, to have control with what I did. And I think that has played a massive part. Um, I never tried to hit it too hard growing up. So I think a repeatable tempo, a repeatable swing um, went in to be able to do in that. And this, <clears throat> this might be a strange thing to say. Um, but it, it's just my opinion when it comes to driving that there's no, you very rarely have a distance in mind when you're hitting driver. So your focus when you're hitting driver is just accuracy. Um, plus it's teed up on a peg, so it's probably a bit easier to strike. Um, so straight away when you're focusing on line and it's easier to strike, theoretically it should be a little bit easier to hit it decent. Um, so I think that mindset has also helped me as well. Um, second part of your question, Pierce, I think, <clears throat> drivings I mean every part of the game is very important but I think if you drive it well and put yourself in good positions you take a lot of big scores generally out of the equation um, and you optimize those opportunities with with your iron play coming out of the fairway and having complete control over your second shot so um, yeah it's it's a very important part of the game I think I think we know how important you know we tell we know by stats now Mark Brody being the strokes gain stuff out how important iron approach play is. But I think what you said there is perfect for anyone listening to this. If you can hit the fairway or hit it in a reasonable place, if it's just off the fairway, you eliminate the high numbers. 
And I think that's what stands amateur golfers apart, really, from a 28 handicapper to a to a five handicapper. The big difference is that the, the big numbers just don't happen for those for those lower handicappers. And I suppose you're absolutely right there with the driving that it it does just give you the ability to limit the high numbers. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it optimizes both ends of your scoring, um, takes away the higher numbers, but it really brings in those that potential to have a great round as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I suppose it's, it's an interesting one, this one is, because I know that you're very well-rounded with everything that you do, but as a top player, you need to be able to maintain things. What do you think is or different aspects of the game, almost different buckets we call them when we talk about it? What yeah. do you think is the hardest one for you to maintain and perhaps even for an amateur golfer to maintain? What discipline in golf? It's mm, a great question. Um... I think people have different strengths within their games and what becomes a little bit easier naturally. Um, and I think as we alluded to that previous point, probably driving and accuracy, I probably find a little bit easier than, than other elements. Um, so of course that takes practice and maintenance, but that's probably quite low maintenance for me. Um, the hardest thing to maintain is probably my, my short game. At the moment, we, we did a lot of things together last summer with um, trying to improve the short game and add a few um, different shots to the repertoire and I, I really need to keep on top of all of those things um, and I probably haven't done that over the last week or so through through being in self-isolation but um, I can even feel it already when I do a bit of short game in my garden I, I feel rusty and that's just after a week of not doing things um, for an amateur golfer I think it's, it really does depend on what, what level you play at. I think striking is probably the most important thing for any amateur golf and something that I've relearned over the last few years myself. Um, I think if you can strike it well and get it close to the middle of the club face, um, you take a lot of things out of the equation. So something that we often did, like having a chalk line on the ball, striking the ball first and making sure that divot doesn't start before the chalk line is a great thing. Um, so I think if, if you can stay on top, you strike, you you eliminate, again, a lot of those bad things that can happen. I think ultimately that's what golf's about. If your misses are not as bad, you'll, you'll be okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. It's interesting just going back to your other points about the short game being off and being a bit rusty. So obviously we've just come out of lockdown here for, for golf, you know, golf starting last week now. Mm. The amount of text messages I've had off my uh, in-person clients who've gone, my short game is terrible. Says, don't worry, everybody's the same. It's just us not playing golf yeah. for three months. It kind of makes an effect for sure. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about your your work ethic, Aaron, because look, we know, and I think a lot of the people who are maybe, um, who see what you do, maybe on the tour and, and, and your family, we know how hard you work and your, your work ethic is second to none. Um, and, and I hear that, whenever you spoke to a tour pro or, or somebody else, somebody else who you're trying to learn from, you always ask this question. You always ask them, how do you stay motivated or what motivates you to keep getting better? Um, which is interesting in itself. So it'd be great to understand what, why you ask that question a lot, but also mm -hmm. what is it that drives you? What is it that motivates you to be, to be better every day, to do what you do, to put so much work in to, to go and practice on Christmas Day, um, yeah. what is it that really drives you? 
yeah, the, the first part of that question, Andy, I, I like to ask that question too. Uh, I'm very privileged to be able to, to ask these kind of questions like Lee Westwood, Paul McGinley, Harrington. Um, that's not a position that, that many people can be in and these are, are great for the game who have had a lot of longevity in their career as well. Um, so anytime you can pick their brains about anything, it's, it's great. I asked that question in particular, um, most recently to Lee Westwood, and because it's, I think it's very hard when you've had the level of success that these guys have had and still stay hungry because they've made a lot of money, they've won a lot of tournaments, they've got families, they've got business interests in their life and their life becomes a lot more than just about golf um but why do they keep coming back to golf why is golf still central to their life um when they've probably had they have everything that they would have wanted growing up um why golf um and that that question fascinates me because imagine if again the guys listen to this podcast if they if they win the lottery what would they do I'm not sure many people would say I'd do exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, and that's that's what it's like for these guys. They've, they've won the lottery. They've achieved amazing things, but still not much changes for them because they're still playing. They're still practicing. They're still working damn hard. Um, and that, that really shines a light on Lee Westwood in particular and, and what he's done in recent months. Being 47 years old, winning the race to Dubai last year, nearly winning the Arnold Palmer and the players back-to-back. And it's it's just a testament to these guys that they're able to do that. Um, what motivates me? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think first and foremost, it's golf it is a massive part of who I am. I, I started from the age of two, three years old. Um, and as you said, uh, I, I practiced huge amounts from such a young age. So it's, it's become just a part of who I am. Um, and I think the fascination and understanding all the complexities that go along with the game. It's something that I'm fascinated by and it's something that no one can ever master, but it's something that I want to continually learn and improve at. I think with golf being such a big part of my life, it's taught me a lot of lessons outside of the golf course as well. And I've seen how I've developed as a person as a result of all of these hours spent on a golf course and all of these experiences that I've had as a result of golf, whether those the high pressure situations in a tournament or whether that's um, the social side of it as well and meeting new people and learning to get along with new people. It's massively improved who I am as a person. I've become a much more well-rounded person as a result of it. Um, so I think the two things for me are intrinsically linked. There's the fascination of wanting to improve as a player um, and continually learn more about the game. But as I continue to learn more about the game, I feel I've become a better person as well. Um, so that's what motivates me, I think, to, to be as good of a person as I can be, um, but to learn as much about the game as I can too. Yeah, and I think it's, a, I think it's something that we've highlighted over the last 12 months, your, um, your love for, for learning and actually just improving and growing and learning as much about golf as you can. And I think certainly for the listeners to this as well it's something just to instead of thinking about what they want it might just be instead of thinking about goals for instance and not saying that goals aren't Mm -hmm. important I think goals are important but if they could just focusing on getting focus on getting better and and learning and growing 
well, the goals can take care of themselves if you're focused on just improving, really. So, um, yeah, something that we've talked about, just your pure love for actually just new information and, and trying new stuff. Um, certainly, yeah. a few months, really, I suppose, more, more, more than ever. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, for the, for the viewers at home, I think whatever level you play at, I think asking yourself the question, like, why? Why do I play? Why do I practice? Um, I think is is key to all of this and there are different motivations for the different people um, but I think if if there's passion and if there's enjoyment for whatever it is that you do I think if you can really highlight that and let that be be one of those motivators and I think it'll help anyone of any level yeah we had that, that that's what actually really stands out when I've asked the question to to Lee Westwood, Harrington, McGinley is just just love for the game, um, and that's one of the first things that they all say. Um, so I think that's that's probably common of of a lot of people who achieve great things in all walks of life. I think just just love and passion. Yeah, you don't do what Lee Westwood's done if you don't actually love what you do for such a long yeah. period of time, really, which is uh, yeah, like I say, pretty incredible. And be interesting to see how he gets on this week. It'd be great to see him challenging this week for. Mm. maybe he's been saving himself up for something big and maybe all that stuff of coming second might be that might be the best thing for him um yeah. but we'll find that we'll find out at the end of this week wouldn't that be amazing i think that would be my in fact we do our picks on who's going to win and i haven't said lee westwood and i should have done it based on the fact i just want him to win it so bad there we go i said judge garcia <laughs> for like 10 years and eventually when it so maybe there's something in it <laughs> uh, yeah so look, let's let's talk about family, Aaron, for you, because I mean, we've we've obviously you've mentioned your dad a couple of times here, and we can see how um, we know obviously how important your dad has been in your in your golf and your life, but also um, your mom as well and your whole family, really. Um, how important is it for you, or how important have they been for you, um, and what what roles have they played? And I'd say, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned really from them? on and off the golf course that have helped maybe shape you as a, as a, as a, as a golfer? Yeah, I could, I could sit here. Big question. It's a big question. I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> um, yeah, massively. I think um, they're a massive support now. Um, they helped to keep me very grounded as well when I come back home. And that's, that's a really big factor. Um, I think growing up, my dad taught me so much about the game um, from a technical point of view, he, or he helped introduce me to the game, but he taught me a lot of lessons of, of work ethic and commitment and just sacrifice as well. Um, and what it takes to actually try and try and pursue your dreams. Um, it's great having dreams. It's, it's important, but I think understanding what it takes to make them a reality is, is a lifelong lesson that he, really installed in me from a young age. Um, and in recent years, my dad has has become a friend as well, um, beyond just a coach, which is nice. Nice that our relationship has taken that transition as well. Um, my mom, she, yeah, she, she had it tough. She brought up my siblings by herself. Um, and again, like taught me the value of just hard work and she, and I seen it firsthand. Um, with having a huge mortgage on the house, having to work a number of jobs, 
coming back from work, cooking for us and just just working just to get by. Um, she massively taught me that. She's got a massive heart as well. And I think she really taught me the value of just respect and kindness. Um, and yeah, like beyond that, my, my family in general, I, I have a really good relationship with them. And that support of accepting that I have to be away a lot, that I don't talk to them a lot when I'm away either. And just letting me get on with it is, has been vital. Um, and then, and also growing up, they never made me feel like I, I have to do normal things or balance my time between having loads of family time and, um, and playing. They, they knew what it took, I think, to, to pursue a dream. And they just let, they let me go with it and they pushed me when I needed to be pushed. And they've let me crack on without um, holding me back at all when, when I haven't needed to be pushed. So, yeah, they've been great. And you mentioned something that they're just, you mentioned sacrifice, Aaron, as well. And I always think it's, um, it's always an interesting sort of concept or thought. Do you feel like you've sacrificed anything or do you feel like you just love it that much that you don't feel like you've sacrificed anything? Do you know, because when yeah. other people, other people looking in at you will they'll go, okay, well, he sacrificed um, maybe, not spending as much time with his friends and doing certain things. And obviously there is a sacrifice looking out in. Do you yeah. feel like you've sacrificed things or do you just feel like, well, this is, you're just doing what you love and you don't really feel like you've sacrificed anything? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there are, there are times where I feel a little bit of both. Um, there are times that I don't feel it's a sacrifice because how rewarding it is when when I learn something new or um, when I've thought of things, but then they've become a reality and then actually living that process is incredible. And it doesn't feel like there's any sacrifice because that feeling is very fulfilling of, of growth and learning and achievement. But then there are times when things don't come where you're spending a lot of time um, trying to learn or trying to improve and, you can sometimes go backwards and get worse then it's like okay this this is feeling tough um and is is it really worth it is it really worth it and that's where the thoughts of a bit of sacrifice or it'd be nice to have some normality that do naturally come to mind because i'm, I'm human after all um I, I love what i do but there are times of, of doubt there are times that yeah, I think that, man, I, I could I could just be happy hanging out with my friends today. Um, I could be happy just sitting in front of the sofa this evening. And that is always a temptation. Um, and that's always, it can be in, in the back of my mind. Um, so, yeah, there has to be an element of, of sacrifice. But nothing, I don't think anything in life is 100% good or 100% bad, nothing comes without you having to give something. And I think ultimately that's what it's about. If, if I'm willing to give up certain things, can I, can I give those up in return for actually what I stand to gain and what I stand to learn? And yeah, I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing to pay that cost. So um, in that sense, it's, it's quite black and white. Hi everyone, Andy here, just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. 
MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans and we've seen some amazing results from these plans and these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game so you don't have to think or worry about what to do we tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score fix a slice improve your putting or short game we have a plan that will suit you we're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well and we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game. So make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. We had a podcast with Carl Morris, performance coach, not long ago. Um, and he was talking about understanding why you play the game. But really, one of the key things that you mentioned, Aaron, there is, and again, that your dad sort of instilled in you is understanding what it takes to, to get to the level that you want to get to. So, so for the listeners to this who, who say, well, I'd love to get to a, a five handicap. Mm. Well, they might want to do that, but they might not be prepared to put in the level of sacrifice in order to get to that. So I think if they're thinking about maybe where they'd like to be with a level of their game, they do need to understand, well, if I want to knock 10 shots off my handicap, what is it actually going to take? And if they understand what it takes in certain times of maybe, maybe when it's not going so well, they've got to revisit that and go, well, look, I've committed to this. This is what it's going to take for me to get there. But if they don't actually understand what it takes to get there, are they prepared to, are they willing to actually put in that effort to get to where they want to get to? That's the question is, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and I think and understanding yourself there and if something comes easy and naturally to you, maybe what it takes is a little bit less, but that does, I think that's a very small minority of, of people who play this game. And I think going into it with open eyes and almost over thinking in terms of it's going to take more than maybe what it takes is probably a good mindset to go go in with um, because I think you can always step back if you think it's going to take 100 hours compared to 80, for instance. Um, but I think it's very hard to go the other way and think maybe if I play two times a week or three times a week, maybe that's enough. It, it probably isn't. <laughs> it probably isn't. It's better off thinking, actually, I need to devote a lot of my time to this. And maybe if you don't quite hit those marks, you, and you get close to it, you still will probably see an improvement. So I think it's best to, to think it needs more than actually what it requires. Do you know what, Aaron? One thing I will say, you're going out and having 10 pints and feeling like crap the next day. You haven't missed out on that, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing good in that at all. Yeah, we still no, go no. back there every now and then. Think of those, <laughs> think of those drunken memories, though, Pierce. Come on. <laughs> I can't remember them. <laughs> I'm too drunk to remember them. <laughs> let's let's go a little bit into now. We have to be. We're very careful how we talk about this. The three of us when we talk about this and, and failure, and we've mm -hmm. kind of relabeled failure as just learnings over the years. Anyway, 
But yeah. a lot of a lot of top athletes will often point to a specific point in time, namely a failure, that helped change the direction that they were moving in, but maybe just help them give them a bit of a shot in the arm almost of, right, okay, now I need to do this as a result of that experience. Do mm. you have a specific quote-unquote failure that, that has helped you, that you've learned from and gone, that's not going to happen again, and now it's set me in this direction? Yeah, when you were asking that question, there's a number of instances came to mind. It's not just one thing, not just one period of failure that, that happens um the most recent and probably the most powerful was probably last year um i didn't start off the season that great and i i was finding it hard being on a course that it just it felt very draining being on the course um and i was still spending huge amounts of time practicing um but i the passion that spark just wasn't there um and the the pandemic came, um, which which was bad for the world under really bad circumstances that it's, it's affected so many people in a negative way. Um, but for me, I think having those five months back at home massively changed things for me. Um, so in terms of stopping, resetting, having the time with you guys, um, probably the most important thing where we didn't have any tournaments to prepare for, where we could just think how how can we get better and it's okay if it takes a month two months three months because we have the time um and then that when you guys taught me a load of new things it made me very happy just learning um mm -hmm. and i think that just reignited a, a passion for the game and i was i was well rested and mentally felt a lot better um before the restart in last july um and yeah, the game, the game improved as a result, but I think it just it reignited a passion and um, just a love for the game, really having that break. And I think you said failure. Um, there, was, there was a lot of failure probably towards the end of 2019 and the start of 2020, um, which probably got me to a point where I wasn't really happy playing the game. So um, that really stands out for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest and most recent one. I think it's interesting that you said there, and I think the, the biggest thing that you can, maybe the, the listener can have on this is that if they're in a place where they feel like they're failing a lot, they're not happy with the game, then actually the best thing to do is probably just stop, reevaluate, and just remove yourself from what you're currently doing. And in your case, it wasn't stop playing golf, it was stop playing tournament golf, obviously, because yeah. you had no choice that was taken away from you. So it did give yeah. you the chance to reset in your mind. But a, from a, let's think of a, a golfer now who's going out there every week and playing with their friends or playing in a club competition and not playing well and not enjoying it, then you've almost got to say to yourself, no, stop. Maybe have a week or two off from golf and then go, I'm just going to figure out in that week or two off, well, what do I need to do to, to, to love this game again? To, to realise why I do this game again, maybe even in some instances, yeah. and then just get to work on it. And it doesn't necessarily mean going straight back to playing with their mates on that Friday afternoon <laughs> or Saturday morning medal. It might mean just going practicing, learning a few new things and just developing their game. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where it's good to be self-aware and for the viewers to just be self-aware of exactly how they feel. If golf is becoming a rut and if they notice their attitude becoming 
very negative and very bad towards golf, whether that's through anger or frustration, then that's probably a time where, as you said, step back. If it's maybe technical issues within their game, then that could be a time to actually just practice a little bit more. But I think identifying what's technical, identifying what's mental, a key to then actually how you go about solving it. Break can be a great thing if it's mental, if it's technical, maybe a little bit of time is a good thing. Yeah. You've, you've got to make that choice yourself. I agree. Definitely. Okay, well, look, we're talking about tournament golf as well. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, mm. if, if, if viewers watch you on the golf course, Aaron, they'll see that you are very, um, I'm trying to think, that you're very sort of level with your emotions, let's say, unless you're really hungry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're, very, you're very level with your, your emotions. Um, do you still get nervous? And how do you actually work on that if you want to control that in, in certain scenarios? Yeah, um, I still get very nervous, <laughs> uh, usually at the start of tournaments. Um, and especially when it's a tournament that I try not to see tournaments as being important or less than tournament, but naturally there are bigger events than, than others that are in the back of my mind. And when I play those events, because I've added more to them, there's, there's a degree of nervousness to help deal with that. Um, the mental side for me is so important beforehand and being prepared. I, I try to meditate a lot um, and I try to visualize a lot as well and put myself in these, in these situations of, of nervousness of these tournaments um, and try to deal with them in my mind um, as well as I can beforehand. And then when I'm actually there in reality, I have a lot of things to then draw on from the meditation and the awareness of, of myself in that moment. But then also what I've, what I've visualized before. Um, so those are the two biggest things for me. You know he's in the zone, Andy, when he starts floating down the fairway in his meditative state. <laughs> <laughs> he's not actually touching the ground now. <laughs> Aaron's always in the zone. Like, yeah, Unfortunately, I'm working on <laughs> Let, Let's talk about strategy because we know it's obviously that's a key part for you in, in regarding your prep. Um, mm. Can you share one or two really important parts of your strategy prep that could potentially help the listeners? Yeah, um, probably number one, um, I spend a lot of time understanding how fast or slow the greens are. So for instance, let's say someone listens to this, maybe get a, a sand wedge out, hit a chip that maybe goes 10 yards and then see how much it runs on the green um, and then make a note of that and then hit another chip that maybe goes 15 yards, see how much it runs on the green. So you've got physical numbers that show you how fast something is. So you incorporate your feel, but you incorporate um, a bit of, a bit of numbers to that as well. Um, second thing that I, I spend a lot of time preparing is, um, yeah, just strategy really and knowing where the widest points of a golf course are and the widest points of a fairway. Um, so I think if the guys listening to this, um, if they, they play their home course a lot, maybe just taking one afternoon or two afternoons to really know where are the widest points here 
um, can I miss the green right to a right pin or can I miss the green left to a right pin? What's better? And actually figure out the, the complexities of the course and then maybe apply the, the strategy based on, on what they see. Like given time, I think it's very easy when you play the same course time and time again to just start seeing it in the same way. Um, but sometimes it's good to take a step back and look at it with fresh eyes, even if that means someone walks their home course and looks at these little things, then it can actually play a huge benefit, even though you're not physically playing the game, just looking at a course, understanding a course um, and making notes can be, can be a great thing. Yeah. yeah I look at it with some different eyes. It's, it's, it's yeah. I always remember if it comes straight back to me, I think back at our Oxley days, Pierce, I always remember um, Chris Ryan, actually. I remember Chris Ryan, and I think he must have played with Gordon Harris in one of the club championships, and he'd shot a decent score. And Gordon says, he hit two iron off most tees. And I was like, God, is it two iron off most tees? What, what, what's going on there? And then after, the, probably after that moment, it was a turning point for me where I'm, I'm looking at the golf course in a totally different way because I'd never thought about hitting, let's say, two or three iron down the third and the fourth to the corner to the widest part of the fairway. I'd always thought about, well, driver, it's driver here, it's par four driver. Whereas after that moment, it was more of a careful plot to understand the best positions to be in. And I think I'd probably played the course for 10 years almost and not really thought about playing it in a different way until I'd actually experienced somebody else doing that really. But it's, it's uh, yeah, it sort of springs to mind when I think back to those days. The, the reason that Chris Ryan was hitting two on everywhere is because he can't hit the fair with his driver and nothing changed. <laughs> <laughs> you you listening, Chris. <laughs> You're dead right on that, actually. <laughs> but he does it in a long way. That probably makes it harder for him, especially around Oxley. <laughs> so uh, one, one thing that is actually quite... Um, I, this, this is an absolute for every touring professional out there that they'll have a routine when warming up on the putting green. Now, I know that you've gone through different versions of this. And it's not necessarily about what is your version now, but what are you trying to achieve by having a, a good putting warm-up? And for you, how long does that take? Depend. Let's say it's a, it's not a, a seven thirty a.m. tea time. Let's say it's more, a, you know, a, a normal tea time on the weekend, for instance. Yeah. Would it be forty minutes, forty-five minutes of, of prep on the putting green? Probably forty-five minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, and, and with that, what you, yeah. Mark. And what are you looking to achieve in that time? A few things really, um, first and foremost, the ability to start online and, and knowing that I'm starting it online. Um, and I'll also, I'll mix that with, with pace control. Um, so for me, uh, I use a gate. Um, so if I roll the ball through the gate, I'm starting it online, but I'll always put to a tee, which might be 10 feet, 15 feet away from the gate. So I'll, I always have a pace in mind as well. Um, Beyond that as well, I I try to feel slope in my feet and also try and see see slope and calibrate it to a 1% or a 2%, for instance. So calibrating my feels are very important. Um, and then beyond that, pace control and, and lag putting, I think, is is really underrated. Um, especially for a lot of a lot of club golfers if if you guys hit a lot of greens or if you hit green, if you hit the middle of the green, generally you'll probably have 30 footer. And I think the ability to be able to, to lag put well and take the stress off of that 
short putt coming back um, makes a huge difference to your round. So um, for me, I'll, I'll spend probably a good 20 minutes just lag putting from anywhere between 25 feet all the way up to probably 70 feet, 80 feet. Yeah, I love this. And basically, it's great because we, you know, it was a, it was a loaded question from us because we know what you do, but anyone listening to this so first of all you're working at calibrating your stroke and making making sure it starts online you're then looking yep. at green reading and calibrating your ability to green read and then when you're doing your lag putting you're working at pace control but again you're kind of putting in the the green reading aspect to that but from anyone who's watch, who watches Aaron at a tournament just to cal- just to confirm when he's calibrating on his start gate, he's not trying to hit the tee peg that he's hitting the gate through. Because I did that the first time I looked at it. I, went, I was like, I was going to do a video for Andy going, he's nowhere near it in that tee peg. He can't read green for toffee. <laughs> yeah, the tee peg is there for speed. It's there for speed, absolutely. But it, it's just it's just, it's just crucial that you, you you hit those three areas and your warm-up becomes a really good practice session then, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think quite often people don't spend enough time um, hitting those putts or hitting those chips before they go out. Um, warming up on the range is great, but passing and short game should not be underestimated before playing yeah. on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. And yeah. Someone, someone listening to this now is probably going to go, well, I want to spend 45 minutes on the putting room, but you probably only need about 15 minutes, don't you? Exactly. You could you could do all of those things that I've mentioned in, in 10 minutes if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah two, three minutes through a gate, um, a little bit of lag putting and, yeah, read a couple of putts, uh, make sure you're there or thereabouts and you're away. Yeah. A lot of that pace we go through in the coaching plan, complete putting as well, to be fair. So mm-hmm. I'll give that a plug because it is it's obviously the calibration station in there. It is. It doesn't need to take, like you say, half an hour, 45 minutes. It's just consistency. But if you do it in small chunks, it really builds up over a period of time. It can make a huge difference. Yeah. And if, if that chunk is, is really small and it's efficient, five minutes, ten minutes after the round is a perfect time just to do a quick warm down with your putting as strange as that sounds. Because um, during a round of golf, we can get into bad habits as well. Um, a little five, ten minute session at the end of it can just be a nice little reset. So then when you're playing again that next weekend, five, ten minute warm up and then you're, you're straight into it during the round. Yeah, just sort of settle back down, can't you? Mm. right before we move into some quick fire Aaron we got um, maybe one more question I'm going to make this quite broad actually because it's uh, I'll be interested to see what you say to this what is the what does yep. the future hold for Aaron Ryder the golfer <laughs> that's a great question um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not sure um, I think within the way that I try and frame things I try not to think too much about result or saying I want to play this tournament I want to win this tournament these things are in the back of my mind of course um, but to answer that I, if I just continue to stay very well disciplined if I um, continue to to prepare well at tournaments um, to listen to you guys <laughs> um, to continually improve as a golfer um, then I'll, I'll give myself a good chance to to achieve different things. Um, so for me, it's, it's about just ticking off those processes as well as possible and seeing what happens. And if, if I maybe don't achieve the things that I want to achieve, then we're great at being able to reevaluate things, all three of us and all of us as a team. Um, 
and I'm sure we'll we'll learn and improve as a result of that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. I think it's just a great message. I think as we talked about earlier on the podcast, instead of focusing on outcomes and what you want to to get, it's just about being better every day and just sort of getting up and and being disciplined with your routines and your practice and understand what it takes to get to where you want to get to and if you can do that then hopefully the results can take care of itself yeah exactly exactly it's interesting listening to this we're going to get into the quick fire now but i'm like going oh we could have asked that question we could have asked this question we could have asked that question i mean there's so many questions we could have asked i'm mean, even talking about the team as well you know andy caldwell jace on the bag you know duncan you know it's just this we need a round two makes we need a round two. We need a round two. We need, we need a round two. <laughs> we'll do a round two in the next, uh, when, when you're isolating next, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with some quick fires then. Right. Okay. So who's the best golfer you've played with? Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood. Three truths about golf. Four. Four. <laughs> oh. <It's hard. laughs> Actually, just quick, uh, just quick one, Pierce, on this. How quick was Paul McGinley answering this? Was it Paul? Oh, he nailed, he nailed he like, Boom, boom, boom. Not to put, not to put you on any pressure, but he was just like, <laughs> thanks for giving me some time, though. Thank you. <laughs> You've I'm, I'm, like I'm buying you, buying your time here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's hard. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of discipline and patience. Huge amount of patience. It's hard, like discipline, it. and patience. Like now, it. we know you love golf, but is there anything that you change about golf? More time Probably. on the course. <laughs> <laughs> what more? No, no, no shot no. clocks. No shot clocks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly the answer. <laughs> um, it'd probably be... I think maybe a little bit of common sense to just a couple of the rules. I think like time the- spent over a shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, I think um, the one thing that comes to mind, like if we're on a fairway and we ground the club and the ball moves, um, that's a one-shot penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's very harsh. For instance, I think some of the rules can have a little bit more common sense. Yeah. If you're not trying to cheat, which which most people aren't, um, then accidents do happen and I think you shouldn't be penalised as a result of that. Yeah, like it. Aaron would have liked our um, April Fool's rules, wouldn't he? Did you see, I bet you haven't seen those, Aaron. I, I, I think we should talk no. that to you later. We'll, we'll send you some April okay. Fool's rules that we did uh, on social media. The other so, day. so April Fool's, we're filming this podcast on the 7th of April, there's still people saying I can't find these rules on the RNA. <laughs> like, can you please send me the link? <laughs> Which I told James, just send him a calendar picture of the 1st of April, they'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the best thing in golf uh man what it teaches you yeah. what it teaches you in a sense of um how rewarding it is when you when you learn or when you hit that shot um and number two um yeah like the lessons that it teaches you in terms of what i mentioned like the patience the discipline like it and yeah. then finally if you started again would you do anything different? Well, uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I think everything happens for a reason and everything happens at the time that it's meant to. 
um, if you change anything about the journey, you change the destination. So, um, no, I wouldn't. You answered that correctly. It was a test. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. You <laughs> passed with flying colours. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Look, Aaron, <laughs> thanks, thanks so much for your, your time today. I mean, I think we have literally, I think we've scratched a small surface here um, when there's so much we can actually talk about. It would be great to get you on again and talk about some of the other stuff. I think there's so much that that the listeners can share from you. I mean, whether it's about your shot shaping, whether it's about your routines on the golf course, there's so many things that I think, oh, wow, we could have touched on that. We could have touched on that. So it would be great at some point to get you back on to, to dive a bit deeper into that. But yeah, um, definitely. hopefully the listeners get a good, good insight to sort of you as a person and a bit of background and, and, and what you've done. And um, I'm sure it'd be fascinating for them to just listen to you, listen to you and your story really as well. So we really appreciate your time. And, uh, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, do you know what's yeah, interesting? The brainstorm. You're welcome. The, the brainstorm on that as well was, was ridiculous. The amount of questions that literally, I've been deleting questions as we've been going through this that we're not going to say, and the amount <laughs> of questions that never even made it onto this page are just, it's just, yeah. So we, we definitely have to do it again. Uh, Andy, I thought he was yeah. on his way out by then. By the way, then anyone who's actually just listening to this, Aaron was off then with his uh, iPad, but I reckon he's just got to put some power in it. <laughs> I thought he was like, oh, I'm off now, I've had enough of this. <laughs> um, Aaron, again, look, same as Andy said, look, it's, it's not only thank you for your time today, but it's just a pleasure to, to be able to work with you, you know, the, the relationship we all have, you know, with you, with your family, um, you know, that's something we've forged now that will be there forever, which we're very proud of. We're very happy to, to have that relationship and, you know, I think we. I think one of the next things. I mean, obviously, we'll be seeing you for the next few weeks in the UK, but then quite soon after that, we'll be heading out to Keele Island for the PGA Championship, mm-hmm. which will be a, another major championship that you haven't played in yet. So, yeah, we couldn't be yeah. more proud of you and what you do and what your family do. So, yeah, thanks for thanks for letting us be part of that. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys, I've I've known Andy and Pierce my whole life, pretty much, um, even before we. We work together in a professional sense. So, um, yeah, to have you guys along board uh, on on board during this journey has been amazing. You're you're much more than the coaches to me. You're very very close friends, um, and I'm I'm very lucky to be able to say that. That's a, that's, a, that's a tear, Andy, for anyone as well. Anyone who's not watching this, that's a tear. I'm, oh, just, I'm, I'm, I'm balling. I'll give myself uh, away. Brilliant. Cheers, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.